Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our sermon lesson from Jonah chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is, what is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, The men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This is the word of your God. What is the biblical, historical, prophetical book of Jonah all about? It's an important question to ask as we study the book and we set out to read all of it, study for ourselves what this book meant for God to give it to his people. 
It's also an important question to ask because Jonah is one of the most popular biblical narratives that there is. Jonah, or at least Jonah-inspired stories, are everywhere. From Herman Melville's Moby Dick to Disney's Pinocchio to hundreds of children's books, there are a lot of Jonah-inspired tales out there. So it's often the case that what we know or what we think we know about this story is more from pop culture than it is Holy Scripture. What's the book of Jonah about? Is it about Jonah and the fish? Is it about the whale? Well, I hate to break it to you, but the fish or the whale, it only shows up in three short verses. So maybe it's about Jonah, the the book whom this is all named after. I hate to break it to you, but Jonah wasn't a very good person, and he was an even worse prophet. Maybe this is about the mission that God gives the church. Maybe that's what the book of Jonah is about. The book of Jonah is an Old Testament version of the Great Commission, you know, taking the gospel to, to foreign nations, places like Nineveh. Well, I'll grant you that that is a theme, even though many people try to make it the theme. That's not the only thing that the book of Jonah is about. So what do you know about the book of Jonah? What's this whole biblical account all about? What's its purpose that God gave it to us? Well, I need to start this series out with a bit of a warning because it might completely ruin the book for you. This series might change the way you look at Jonah and you look at this whole Old Testament narrative. Why? Well, it's because we're only going to listen carefully and look very closely, not at what pop culture says about Jonah, but what scripture says about this book and about what Jonah means for our lives. And it says quite a lot. And so we ask that as we begin this service, as we begin this series, that God blesses our study of Jonah as he opens our eyes, as we suspend everything that we know or we think we know about this book, and we listen to God's word come from Jonah chapter one, where we read it verse by verse. It begins this way. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. It's God's word so far. You know what Jonah means? It means dove. And you might think that's pretty awesome because the dove is the biblical symbol for the Holy Spirit and it is the universal symbol for peace. Pretty cool name. But remember, this is many, many years before the dove or the Holy Spirit showed up in the form of a dove to Jesus' baptism. And remember, 
This is still many, many years before the dove emoji showed up on all of our phones, and it is well used as the universal symbol for peace. What Jonah's name means, what dove means, is flightiness. And in case you didn't know, it is not a good thing if your family or your friends call you flighty. That means we can't count on you. That means that you can't be assured that the plans that you made with a person are going to come about because you can't count on them to show up. It is not a good thing to be flighty. And here in the very, very beginning of Jonah, we see him completely embodying that characteristic already. It's why if you look on your cover of your bulletin, our series artwork for this, it has Jonah just floating about. It's because Jonah is a flight risk. Look what happens at the very beginning of this narrative. God says, go, go, in fact, literally go up to the great city of Nineveh. And what does Jonah do? Jonah ran away from the Lord. He does the exact opposite. God says, go up. He goes down. Jonah is not just flighty. He is naughty. He is a bad prophet that blatantly disobeys what God has commanded him to do. But let's look at why. God says to him, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Nineveh was no joke. Nineveh was a group of Old Testament terrorists. It was a group of people who did wicked and evil things. The poets in Nineveh wrote songs about how the blood that they shed of their enemies would just flow down the mountains. God said, go to these people. But notice that God says that they're great. Their city is great. Why does God do that? It's not God complimenting their great cultural innovations or their great military occupations. No, God called Nineveh great because the number of people who were there were great. And God's grace and mercy is great, and God's heart is great in size, and he wanted their repentance. God wanted these people to be his own. That is why God called them to them. That is why God called Jonah to them. But one point that we'll make throughout this series is that Jonah is not only flighty, he's not only a bad prophet, He's a nationalistic, xenophobic person who will later explicitly state that he doesn't want God's grace and God's mercy to go to this group. But we don't see that yet. Instead, all we see is God's call and Jonah's fall down, down, down. And that's what this book's about. I opened up the sermon asking you what you know about the book of Jonah, what you think that the biblical narrative of Jonah is all about. And I told you a bunch of things that it's not about, but I didn't tell you anything that it was. 
But at the core, at the center of this book, this is what we see. It is a biblical account of a prophet, God's chosen and called prophet, running away from his call. And in Jonah, we're taught something about the calls that God gives to us all. It's called the doctrine of vocation. The Bible's teaching that each and every one of you has been given a call by God into your life to serve others. That we, in this life, get to wear God as a mask and God works through us, God works in us as his chosen children. God works through us to serve others. There's so much that we could say about those calls in our life. But here today, here's the one big takeaway that I want for all of you, that God has given callings, multiple callings or vocations to you to go to the people in your life to speak grace and mercy to them. That's the callings that you have received. Callings to go to the people in your sphere of influence whom you know and give grace and mercy to them. That God is working through you and in you to bring grace and mercy to others. One of the greatest mistakes that people make about calls is to think that their call is not great. They hear stories, biblical stories like Jonah, and think, man, Jonah was called to a great city. I'm not. And that's true. Most of us are not called to grow to great cities like Kabul, Afghanistan, and preach the gospel there. Most of us are not called to sub-Sahara Africa to set up orphanages there. But that doesn't change the fact that God has given great calls to all of us. Calls to be great husbands. Calls to be great wives great parents, great employees, great employers, great students, great friends, great neighbors. God has given so many various calls into our life because the calls, the number of callings and vocations that we have in our lives are as many as the number of relationships that we have in our life. Your calling may be to go and share your faith with your neighbor. But maybe it's not sharing your faith. Maybe your calling in life is to just go and show your faith to your best friend by helping him move and just being a great friend. Maybe your calling in life is to be a great church member, to just show up to church and listen to your fellow church family members week and how it's going and and offer up a prayer for them or offer to take a meal for them. Maybe the calling that you have in your life is simply to listen or to be there for your husband or your wife or your child and offer support and encouragement to them. It's two things that we often mistake about our callings, that they're these great things that are somewhere out there. But the reality is that they're one, they're in your life and they are to the people in your life. The people that God has given you is who God wants you to speak words of grace and mercy. And so the first question for our meditation, as we go through the book of Jonah, the first question that the Holy Spirit poses on us and wants to sink into our souls is this. Do you see your callings for what they are? 
Do you wake up in the morning and embrace your calling as God-given, divinely ordained callings that the Lord himself has placed into your life? And do you embrace them and go to the callings? Or do you run away from them? That's what the book of Jonah is about. A call to God's prophet, to God's people. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and he headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Make no mistake about it, Jonah is running, but Jonah is not just running merely from his calling or from a place. He's doing both those things But Jonah is running from the Lord. The narrator makes that point clear by listing it out twice, that that is really what Jonah is running from. But you catch where he is running? Scripture says that Jonah went down to Joppa and he found a ship headed for Tarshish. There's a lot of scholarly speculation about where exactly Tarshish is. Most people believe it's, it's somewhere in Spain or near Spain. But while there's a lot of speculation about where Tarshish is, everyone knows exactly what Tarshish was. It was a place of luxury. It was a place of pleasure. It was a place of delight. It was a place of comfort. And that's something that we can relate to. Because God has given calls to us all, and as you think through the places, or rather the people to whom God is calling you, there's at least one calling, one person in your life that we're running from. And when we run, we don't just run aimlessly. Oh no, when we run from the calls that the Lord has given us, we head straight to our own version of Tarshish, a place that's comfortable, a place that is the opposite of Nineveh. Nineveh is a place where there is pain, yes, but a place nonetheless where God needs you to go and speak words of grace and mercy. And yet when we flee, we go straight to a place of comfort because we are all about our comfort zones. Some of you, God is calling back to your family. God is calling you to go back to your husbands, back to your wives, back to your children and their culture, a gospel-centered, Christ-centered, deep, intimate relationship with them and to them and speak to them. That's hard. To sit and actually have those conversations, to to actually stick it out. And so we bail. Or at least we check out, because we're more obsessed with our comfort than building godly families. How often in your marriage or in your life as a parent do you spend time in your own figurative japa looking for where you might buy a ticket to your own version of Tarshish. 
Some of you, God is calling back to your families. Others of you, God is calling back to your church. And it goes without saying that when we talk about the church, we're not talking about the building. We're not talking about the institution. But we're talking about the people. God is calling you to them to be present in their lives, connect with them, and speak words of grace and mercy to them. But building spiritual relationships, building spiritual relationships with strangers, that's hard. And so when the going gets rough, you just get going. The moment that you find out that it's, it's not always fun for you or that you actually could be doing something with your time that's more productive or you find out that they're a sinner, we leave. You see, Jonah paid a lot of money for that ticket in Joppa. Do you ever stop and calculate the cost, what it's costing you, what you're spending, what you're missing out on by the fact that you are fleeing from your call to connect to your church, to the people who make up your church. Well, some of you, God is calling back to your family, back to your church. For others of you, those places are very comfortable for you. You've been a follower of Christ for as long as you can remember. And so what's uncomfortable for you is the fact that God gives you a calling, not just a pastor, but every single person, the calling to your neighbor to go to them, to speak words of grace, to speak words of mercy, to show acts of mercy. But at every chance you get, you flee from your neighbor because it's uncomfortable. every chance that you have to speak words to your neighbor, you check out because that's awkward. How much time do you spend in Joppa looking to buy a ticket to the place where the grass is just a little greener, where things are a little more comfortable to your spiritual, your emotional version of Tarshish? A place that's just a little more comfortable than the Nineveh that God is calling you to. When you flee and flee from your callings, you're not just fleeing from some esoteric or philosophic call that God has given you, but you are actually fleeing from God, fleeing from the callings that you have received in your life that God himself has divinely ordained and placed on you is the equivalent of fleeing from the Lord himself. And make no mistake about it, when you run, God will catch you. That's what the book of Jonah teaches us that God will catch you, you cannot run from the Lord. But what Jonah shows us is that when God catches you, and he will, what Jonah teaches us is the amazing, outlandish truth that God does not drown you in guilt. God does not drown you in shame. But when God catches you, 
He pours wave after wave after wave after wave of mercy into your life. You see it in Jonah's life, and I pray that through this, through this word, you see it in your life, that God pours mercy after mercy into our lives. You see it in Jonah's life. First, he pours a wave of mercy into Jonah's life in the form of a storm. Then he pours waves of mercy into Jonah's life with people, with people that he sends into Jonah's life. And third, he pours waves of mercy into Jonah's life with everyday occurrences. It starts this way. First, we see this, that Jonah went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The great wind, the violent storm that the Lord put on the sea was not to punish Jonah. This was to call Jonah back. This was to force Jonah to reckon with the truth that yes, God was sending his grace to a place like Nineveh to give them his love, to call them to repentance. But God wanted Jonah to see that it was him who was calling him back to his side. Yes, he called him to be a prophet, but even greater than that, God called Jonah and wanted Jonah to see that I'm not gonna let you forget that I have called you to be my son. I am your God and I want you to know that I am by your side. But Jonah fell into a, what scripture calls deep sleep, a purposeful sleep. A sleep that is unlike the regular sleeps that, you know, a violent storm might wake you up from. What Jonah did was he went below the deck. He went as far away physically from the Lord as he could. And he went into a deep sleep to escape not only the call, but the waves of God's mercy that were crashing up against Jonah. Sleep's good. Let me be on record of saying that. Sleep is good. But when you use good things in your life to escape from God's call, from God's mercy, take note of that. That's called escapism, even when it's good things. The screen in your pocket is actually a good thing. Netflix is actually a good thing. Alcohol is a good thing. Work is a good thing. Working out is a good thing. But when you use these good things to escape from the calls that God has placed into your life, that's a bad thing. And that's what God's prophet did. So, God throws another wave of mercy on Jonah, this time in the form of a person. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. If you didn't think it before, the captain says it. Jonah, how can you sleep during this? 
call on your God. You want to know what a mediocre prophet would have done? You would have at least prayed. You want to know what a good or a great prophet would have done? He would have stopped and he would have said to the captain, Captain, you got it all wrong about my God. Let me tell you how he loves to save people. But you want to know what Jonah did? Nothing. He didn't say a word. He just pulled the covers back over his head and continued in his deep sleep. We made the point before that God has given you callings or vocations in your life, that God is working through you to bring grace and mercy to the people in your life. That means it also works the opposite. That means that God is working through people in your life to bring you his grace and his mercy. So the question is, how do you respond when those people come to you and point you to your God like the pagan captain did for Jonah? How do you respond when, when pastors and parents and friends and family come to you and share with you God's grace and mercy? Jonah continued in his deep spiritual sleep, but God's not done. His mercy is more. So once more, God comes after Jonah, and this time he uses the occurrence of just everyday things and more people. The sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Who do you think made the lot fall on Jonah? God did. Who do you think made the sailors question Jonah with this inquisition? Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Jonah answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? Jonah finally speaks, and he makes a pretty good confession that I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. But you notice what's missing from Jonah's confession? It's actual repentance. It's any mention of the fact that he sinned against the Lord, the God of heaven and earth. In fact, you'll note throughout this entire book, all four chapters, this rebellious prophet never repents, never confesses his sin. And I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Come on, Matt. You're making a mountain out of a molehill with the relentless badness of Jonah. He's not that bad. Look how the Lord of the wind and the waves responds to Jonah. Very next verse. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea. 
and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault, that this great storm has come upon us. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. I know that you know how this story ends. And so we often assume that when Jonah suggests that the men throw him into the sea, that somehow this was the right thing to do, that this was, this was virtuous of Jonah to save the men aboard the ship, that this somehow got the rubber stamp of God, that, th- that this was okay to do. But tell me, where in God's word does it ever condone or encourage human sacrifice? Tell me, where in God's word does it ever say that you or I or the prophet Jonah can appease the wrath of God? Nowhere. Nowhere does God ever encourage human sacrifice. In fact, he doesn't encourage any sacrifices. He says, I want obedience over sacrifice. Nowhere in God's scripture does it say that you or I can do anything to appease God or please God, but it's only Christ Jesus, the Messiah, who can do that. So what you have at best is Jonah flexing a bit of a Messiah complex, and at worst, you have the Lord's prophet suicidal. And so over the side rails, he goes. But did you notice in all of this, who are the only people to care about human life? It was the pagan sailors who tried to save Jonah from himself. In all of this, did you notice who are the only ones who pray to God? This is not just cool to note. This is what the book of Jonah is all about. The sailors cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This is the word of God. In verse five, you read it. All the sailors offer sacrifices and cry out each to their own God. By the end of the chapter, all the men each cry out out of fear and not like trembling, I'm so afraid fear, but fear and respect for God. They cry out to him because they know this is a God who does whatever he pleases. They cry out to him. They pray to him. They offer sacrifices to him. They make vows to him. What's the biblical book of Jonah all about? It's about this. It's about God playing the sound of his grace over the noise of the wind and the waves in your life and coming to us relentlessly, constantly, with wave after wave after wave of God's mercy to call us to his side, to call sinful people to his side, 
and save them. God takes wave after wave of his mercy and he splashes it into Jonah's face and he doesn't wake up from his spiritual super, but wave after wave comes over their ship and it points these sailors to their savior so they see that there is a God and he is a God who loves and a God who saves. This is what the story of Jonah is all about. Open up your eyes to the spiritual reality of what this means for us. What it meant for the Old Testament prophet Jonah is that God would not let him just run away, would not let him just go, but God came after him again and again. And you're going to see again and again throughout this book how God calls Jonah and cries out to Jonah that he is a God of grace and mercy who is here for Jonah, who is for him and for you. Open your eyes to your present spiritual reality and see all of the ways in your life in which God is throwing wave after wave of mercy to you, where he is sending to you people, pastors, friends, neighbors who love you to speak words of grace and mercy to you. What won't the Lord do to save? That's the last question that I would ask that you chew on and you let sink in. To what lengths will the Lord go to save? Wrestle with that question because it's a question that Scripture poses and Scripture answers again and again. Because you see, there, there is someone who had a call very similar to Jonah's. There is someone who had a call that nobody else wanted to go to a Nineveh that was 10 times worse than Jonah's Nineveh, a place of pain, a place where people were in need of God's grace and mercy. The only difference with this call was that the person who received it was already in their Tarshish, was already in a place of comfort, you might even say heavenly peace. But the second difference is that this person answered the call. This person took the call and took the fall for us all. And he went down, down, down to the depths of death for three days and three nights to rescue you, to rescue you and Jonah and all of those rebellious runners who run from the call that God has given to us. If you haven't caught it, I'm talking about Jesus Christ. I'm talking about your Lord and Savior, the Lord Almighty, who is not flighty, but who again and again runs after you, even when you run from him. And when he catches you, and I promise you, he will, what he does is he showers you in the sea of his love. He drowns you in the sweet deliverance that he gives. He rinses you with his righteousness and he covers you with wave after wave of his mercy. So stop it. Stop running. Stop running from the calls that God has given to us all. To go to people and speak and show the grace and mercy of God. Stop. Stop running 
from your calls and see that you have a Savior, Jesus, who took the fall and paid for all of our sins, all of our sins of running, and he is constantly showering you with the waves of his mercy.